I want to point you ahead a few weeks for something that is coming that I want you to be even thinking about now, preparing for now. Seven weeks from this Sunday on March 25th, we will gather as a body for a service dedicated almost entirely to baptisms. I mean, we will worship, we will take an offering, we will greet each other, but other than that, the, the service is going to be about baptisms. There won't be a normal sermon that morning. Actually, the testimonies of those being baptized, which we're going to hear during that service, will be the sermon, which I think is a powerful sermon in and of itself. So, yeah. I want you to think about that. I want you to think that even as, uh, as we, we go through this particular teaching time this morning about how you may be called to be part of that. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know Jesus is Savior and Lord, but you have never been baptized, or you, uh, you perhaps were baptized as a child, as an infant, before you had really any consciousness of who Jesus is as Savior and Lord. Uh, really, where I'm going this morning is to give you an opportunity to see whether you are being called to be part of that. You know, I, I reflect on uh, my little over six months here. We've not seen many baptisms here over the time I've been here. And I've been wondering why that is. Is, is that because um, we're a little bit shell-shocked? Is that because of, because of what has happened in, in the life of the church, that, that there's a kind of a holding back? There's maybe a guardedness. There is maybe even a complacency coming out of that. Because the Lord Jesus does not want any part of His mission to be on hold while we work through what we're working through as a church. Is it, as well, another thought I've had is, is it because we really don't understand the significance of baptism? That somehow we, we have thought baptism, yeah, it's something maybe you do, but, but it is not really something that, that, that we're called to do. And to the extent that your, your mind goes anywhere in that direction, can, can I just challenge you as I challenge myself with what we see of the first, the early believers, the early church? What do we see in the Acts of the Apostles of what that first century of followers of Jesus Christ were doing? Let me just take you through a really quick path through Acts, and I'm not even hitting in all of them. Acts chapter 2, as the church is really formed uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that at the, the Feast of Pentecost, Peter preaches that sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws men and women, 3,000 of them. And what is it the text tells us is their response? They're baptized. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is preaching to a, a group of Samaritans, and the Holy Spirit again stirs in their hearts and draws them to the Lord Jesus Christ as they hear the preaching about Christ. And what is their response? They're baptized. Later in Acts chapter 8, Philip has an opportunity to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch. And as he responds to the good news of Christ, what is his response? There's water. Can I be baptized now? And is baptized. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, who, who later becomes known as Paul the Apostle, he's dramatically converted to Christ. And what does the text tell us the first thing that he does? He's baptized. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and, and all of Cornelius' family and friends, they, they hear the preaching of, of Peter about Christ, and they respond to it, and, and the gospel becomes real to them. And what does the text tell us as a response? They're baptized. 
In Acts chapter 16, the Lord opens Lydia's heart to the preaching of Paul about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we see? Her response is to be baptized. Later in in chapter 16, the Philippian jailer responds to the preaching of Christ, and he and his family, they are baptized. Chapter 18, Crispus and many other Corinthians believe as they hear the preaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're told they were baptized. Do you see the pattern here? Time and time again, this is the early church's pattern. Time and time again, as a man or a woman, a young man or a young woman, as they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit moves in their heart and pulls them to Christ, they embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, their natural response is to seek to be baptized. The teaching of the apostles all through the book of Acts in particular, the clear conclusion, if you heard any of the apostles preach, is that if you begin to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your first step is to be baptized. And and that, let's be very direct, that is what Jesus calls us to do if we begin to follow him. Matthew 28, verse 19, his last words that he spoke before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's an imperative that he speaks to us. It's, it's something that he calls us to do, that he expects us to do as we follow him. He doesn't leave that open as an option to us. So why is it that we don't see many baptisms today? And that's not just central. I've seen that at other church that I've had the opportunity to minister in. Is it, is it because in some cases uh, we have emphasized grace, which is a good thing, but sometimes we, we go too far in that and we look at baptism as, well, that's a work, and we want to avoid anything that, that would be contrary to grace as a work, and so we have pushed away from it kind of as an overcorrection? Or is it simply because of human pride? I mean, think about what you're called to do if you are baptized. You stand in a tank of water. You are, you are clothed, but you are dipped, fully immersed in that tank of water, so the clothes you are wearing come out dripping wet. Your, your hair looks like after baptism you have just stepped out of the shower I mean, have you ever been pushed into the lake or a lake with your clothes on? That's kind of the humiliation or the humiliating effect of baptism. And I'm sure there are some people who, who think, you know, how, how, how undignified, how humiliating. Why would anybody want to go through the humiliation of baptism? Well, what I want to do this morning is, is give you a couple images, a couple pictures of baptism that, that may challenge the way you think about baptism. And if you've already been baptized, I pray that this will just make your baptism even more meaningful to you. If you've never been baptized, but you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know Him as Savior and Lord, I, I pray that the Lord will, will, will use these images to kind of grip your heart. And, and the Holy Spirit will draw you to take this step. If you, if you are here this morning and you're not even sure you know who Jesus Christ is as Savior and Lord, I, I pray again that the Lord will work through this in such a way that the Holy Spirit would call you to take steps of repentance and faith. Here's the first image. The first image of baptism is the image of initiation. 
And this comes from my son, Evan, my oldest son, who back when he was 11 years old, he was a fifth grader. And fifth grade, uh, where we were growing up or where he was growing up, that was kind of, you know, that, that was the last grade in your elementary school. You were, you know, you were at the top of the pecking order by the time you got to fifth grade. But he knew that next year he was going to middle school where sixth grade was. And he would go from the top of the pecking order to the bottom of the pecking order. And then to complicate matters, he'd heard this rumor. The rumor was at the middle school that he was going to be going to, some uh, seventh and eighth graders had taken a sixth grader, the rumor said, and duct taped him to the flagpole out in front of the school and subjected him to various indignities. And uh, I assured him that that was probably just a rumor, but still his, his question was the right question. Dad, why would people want to do that to someone else? What's the purpose of initiation, essentially, he was asking. You know, I've thought about that. I remember back in, in, in high school a long time ago when I was in high school, when I was a new ninth grader coming up into high school, uh, I, I remember there were some, some juniors and seniors who were driving around those first couple days of school in their pickup, and they'd grab any unsuspecting ninth grader and pull him into the back of the pickup, and they'd take him out to the middle of the football field, and they'd pour syrup and all other kinds of sticky substances all over them as their initiation. I remember going to college and, and wanting to be part of a fraternity, and the only way to become part of an eternity is to go through, or fraternity is to go through a semester of various indignities that was, that was all called part of your initiation. Maybe some of you, you've, you've experienced initiation even if it wasn't called that when you've started a new job. And and for those first couple days, or maybe first weeks or months, some of the senior employees would have a lot of fun at your expense and call it your initiation. I mean, when we think about initiation, what is initiation in that sense? It is saying, you want to become part of us? You have to go through this induction. You have to go through what we have gone through in order to become part of us. Well, that's a dim view of baptism as initiation, but think of a higher view. In a higher view, baptism is like an initiation. Baptism is an induction into Christ's church. And let me be really clear what I mean about Christ's church. There's two senses of, of church that we see in Scripture and theology. There is the invisible church and the visible church. The invisible church is, is all, those, all those people, men and women, boys and girls, who have lived anywhere in the world at any time who have embraced Christ as Savior and Lord. Doesn't matter what language they speak, doesn't matter the color of their skin, doesn't matter what nation they are living in. They all belong to the invisible church. But there are also visible churches, local churches, and that is when members of the invisible church come together and, and they become part of a local body, a local congregation like Central Church. If you call Central Church your home, you belong to the visible church here at Central. Hopefully, you have had that work in your heart where Christ is Savior and Lord, and you will also belong to the invisible church. But just being in a visible church does not necessarily make you part of the invisible church. So when we think of that, when we think of the invisible and the visible church, baptism is a, 
it's, it's that initiation, it's that induction, it is that visible sign by which we enter the church, both the, the invisible church and especially the local church, the visible church. And maybe you had that, that privilege of watching people here at Central uh, be, be baptized. You've, you've, you've experienced that, you've seen that, and what a wonderful sight it is to see people publicly testify of their faith in the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord, that I, they belong to the invisible church. But as well, they say by their baptism, but I want to be part of you as well. I want to be part of the visible church, the local body, the local congregation here at Central Church. That's what we're going to do on March 25th. So baptism is like an initiation in the sense that it identifies you with Christ's people. When you obey Christ's command to be baptized, what does that do that publicly communicates to the rest of us your desire to be part of us? You desire not only to have Christ personally, it's not just Jesus and you. You desire to be part of something bigger, the body of Christ, the invisible church and the visible church. Baptism identifies you with Christ's people. Here's a second image. The second image of baptism I want to bring today comes from a significant upcoming event in my, my own family's life. One month from today, on March 3rd, I will have the privilege of performing the wedding ceremony of one of my sons, Alec, to my future daughter-in-law, Tori. So I've been thinking a lot about weddings, getting ready for that wedding. And, and as I've been thinking about weddings and thinking about baptisms, it, it really came to me that baptism, when you think about it, is like a wedding. Now, if you, those of you who are married, if you think back to your wedding, you know, to the actual wedding ceremony itself, what you did in that ceremony, maybe you can see this. I, I don't know if your ceremony was, was like mine, but m- mine was pretty basic. I remember, I remember standing up there sweating and, and all nervous, but seeing all my friends and family out there in the pews. There is that public aspect of it, that what I was about to do, I was going to do in the front of witnesses, not just um, unattached or detached witnesses, but witnesses who loved me, witnesses who were for what I was about to do, who were for the marriage that was going to result. And I remember Pachelbel's cannon beginning to play was the bridal processional, and seeing Cindy, my wife, and her father back at the back of the church, and then saw her in her, her white gown and, and the radiance of that coming up to meet me. And I don't remember much of the service beyond that, but this thing I remember. I remember that when we were up there at the front, in front of all these people that we loved, that loved us, that wanted to see our marriage work, I committed myself to her. I took vows saying, with God's help, I am committed to you. I will forsake all others to to be committed to you. I, I won't put anything else, or I will work not to put anything else ahead of you. I will, by God's help, be faithful to you. And she took those same vows of commitment to me. And in that way, baptism is like a wedding. It's like a wedding ceremony. It is a public pledge of your commitment to Christ. And I I think we see that even when the Apostle Paul first came to faith in Jesus Christ, God uses this man named Ananias. We see this in Acts 22. Ananias is used by God both to heal him and to call him to be baptized. Here, here's Ananias' words to, uh, at that time, he was known as Saul. 
The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see his righteous one, that's Christ, and to hear words from his mouth. Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And you know, I hear that, and and it's almost like I can hear the voice of a best man to a nervous groom or to a maid of honor to a nervous bride. You know God has brought you together. You know you love him or her. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, get in the church, and make that commitment. That's essentially what baptism is all about. We make a pledge of our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are testifying that we put our faith in His saving work. We're not being saved at the moment of our baptism, but we're saying that's where we put all our reliance for where we stand spiritually. We're pledging that as His Holy Spirit empowers us, we're going to be faithful to Him. We're going to forsake all other false gods, anything else that would become an idol in our life. And by the way, if you're not in a marriage ready to make that kind of pledge of commitment to to your your future husband or wife, you're not ready to get married. And if you're not ready at, at, at the time of baptism to be able to make that pledge to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not sure you were really really ready to to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, that you don't have a full understanding of that. There's even more to the image of marriage that applies to baptism, and this isn't on your screen, but there are these images of a wedding in Revelation 21. Do you know that when you and I, when we embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, we become part of what Scripture says is the bride of Christ? We become what Scripture says there in Revelation 21 as as part of the wife of the Lamb. So if we are in Christ, we are the bride. We are, are, his, are his wife. And, and when I think about that imagery, and I think about what it is that, that a, a wife does in the midst of a wedding ceremony, what does she do? She pledges herself not only to love her husband, she pledges herself to honor and obey her husband. And I think that's what we do in baptism. Baptism is an acknowledgement of Christ's lordship over us. We're saying, Jesus just isn't my buddy. He's not just a lover that I go to when he can make make my life exciting. He's not just someone I run to when my life is tough and I need to escape the problems and pressures in my life. He's my Lord. He is the one that, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's enablement, I'm going to seek to honor and obey with all of my life. He calls us to make that kind of commitment. He gives us His Spirit so that we could do it, because none of us could do it in ourselves. But He calls us to seek His will for our life. He calls us to be guided by His instructions in our life. He calls us to obey His teachings. So when we go through the waters of baptism, we're saying this is not a casual thing. This is not something I'm just doing because it's popular and other people are doing it. This is something where I am entering into a total commitment, a total surrender of my life. That's what baptism signifies. signifies. So baptism is like an initiation. Baptism is like a wedding. Here's a third image, and I understand when I say this image that This may make some of you uncomfortable, but it fits so well that I can't ignore it. It is the image of of what's called outing or what's called coming out. 
those are terms you probably heard used by the LGBT culture to describe the process of a, a man or a woman claiming publicly what they think is their true identity. And in, in many ways, when, when we are baptized, that's what we're doing. We're, we're coming out. We, we are being outed. We are outing ourselves. We are saying, here's my true identity. My true identity is not whether I am male or female. It is not my sexuality. It is not my, my race. It is not my ethnicity. It is not my socioeconomic status. It is not my age. It is who I am in Christ, who I am as a sinner saved by grace, and now filled with His Holy Spirit, living a life of following Christ. That that is essential. That is the essence of who I am. And when you stand before a congregation in baptism, people you know and people you don't know, that's, a, that's what you're doing. You're declaring to all those who are there as witnesses, this is my truest identity. Yeah, I may be of a certain race or a certain gender, but this is where I get my identity by who I am in Christ. It is an acknowledgement of what has happened to us when we turn to Christ in repentance and faith. What is it that has happened to us that that we are picturing in baptism? I mean, why would we even use these symbols of of, of going in the water and being immersed and then being brought up out of the water? Let me point you to two very important Scripture passages that that tell us exactly why we have the very imagery of the water that we are using. The first one is Paul in Colossians 2, where he writes that if you have turned to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith— then you have been buried with Christ when you were baptized. That's the image of going under the water, being buried. In and, and, and Romans 6, you know, Paul expands on this theme even further. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? It's an image of dying, of death. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I want you to think about this image. When we, when we immerse somebody in water, we are, we could, we won't, but we, we could drown them, right? We completely immerse a person under the water. Now again, if you're thinking about being baptism, baptized, I, I don't attempt, I'm not trying to alarm you. We immediately bring you back up. But the truth is, we completely immerse a person in water. Why? It is the image that is given to us in these and other scriptures of drowning, of death. And that's, that's really what, what we're supposed to see, what part of why we are given this image in scripture of, of being immersed in the water. It is an image it is a picture of death and being buried. It is a picture of, of who we are before we met Christ as Savior and Lord. All that controlled us, all that motivated us, all that steered us in our life, that that man or that woman has now died, just as Christ died on the cross. We're saying, I no longer am that man. I no longer am that woman. I no longer live for the things that motivated me and steered me before. Baptism signifies that you have died to your old way of life. 
And none of us do that perfectly, but, but that, is, that is what we're picturing that we have done. So when you go through the waters of baptism, that, that's even maybe some of the thinking that, that you go through or that you could go through as you're being baptized. You, you're dipped under the water, and you can literally have those thoughts in your mind, I'm drowning. But of course, baptism doesn't end there. We then bring you back up into the air, and, and your thoughts go from, I'm drowning, to I'm breathing again, I'm alive again. And what is that a picture of? That's a picture exactly what Paul has described in these two passages, Colossians 2.12. With Christ, you were raised to new life. Romans 6.4, you were raised to live new lives in Christ. Baptism signifies that I have died to who I was, and now I am living a new life. I've been raised to live a new kind of life in Christ. I live by the power of His Holy Spirit. I live guided by His Word. I live as I seek daily to follow Him, but that's the essence of my identity now. That's what we say in baptism. I, I think of Galatians 2.20, which is really for me one of my life verses. This is really a picture of who I am pictured by baptism. I have been crucified with Christ. That's the going under the water. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. That's the coming back of the water. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Baptism is like an initiation. Baptism is like a wedding. Baptism is like an outing. One more. Baptism is like a cleansing. There's a picture of cleansing that we see even in Ananias' words to Saul in Acts twenty-two sixteen: be baptized, and what does he say? Wash your sins away. He speaks of, of baptism being signifying the cleansing from sin. We go from thinking I'm drowning to I'm breathing again to we can think I'm cleansed. I am clean. I mean, that has been accomplished at the point of salvation. It's not like it happens in the magic waters of baptism. There's nothing magic about those waters. But it's a picture. It's a picture for us as we're going through baptism. It's a picture for those of us who are watching somebody be baptized. Baptism is a picture of washing away the stain of sin. And as you are dunked in that water, signifying your union with Christ and His death and burial, and then as you are raised up out of the water, signifying your union with Christ in His resurrection to new life, the reality is you are also picturing how He has washed you by the work He did on His Christ on the cross, dying in His perfect righteousness for your and my unrighteousness. It is a picture of how now when God looks at us in Christ, He sees no stain of sin upon us. He doesn't see the sin that we have or are or will commit. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Baptism signifies that God now sees you as cleansed from all sin. And in that way, baptism is a picture of the gospel. The baptism publicly acknowledges the gospel. What has happened to us as we turn to Christ? By turning in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ, we die to our old sinful selves. We are raised with Him to live a new life by the power of His Holy Spirit living in us. And we're cleansed from all unrighteousness in the eyes of God. 
baptism reveals the spiritually transforming experience that we have been through in the gospel. It identifies us with Christ's gospel. So where are you at this morning with baptism? If you truly are a follower of Christ, if you've turned to Him in repentance and faith, but you haven't yet been baptized, or, or maybe your baptism is, is in your distant past when you were an infant or you were a child before you really had any consciousness of Jesus as Savior and Lord, should you be baptized? Well, consider, again, as we've already pointed out, Jesus has commanded us to do this, not as a condition for salvation, but as a response of salvation. Consider this as well. Jesus has modeled this for us. Jesus, the Son of God, when He came and began His public ministry, what did He do? He allowed John the Baptist to baptize him. He has not only commanded this of us, he has modeled this of us. Why? Because baptism identifies you with Christ's people. Baptism identifies you as Christ's bride. Baptism identifies you with Christ's gospel. Let me close with an important caution here, all right? I I want you to hear this because I don't want anybody to leave confused about what I said and what I didn't say. So here's what I want you to hear. Baptism is not required or necessary for salvation. I'm going to say that again just to make sure you got it. Baptism is not required or necessary for salvation. And I say this because there are people who preach that it is. I was on an airplane uh, one time in flight when I was engaged in conversation with a young man who was sitting beside me, and I had begun to share with him and learned that he had just recently, through his church, embraced Christ as Savior and Lord. And talking with him, I, I really got the sense, the Spirit seemed to confirm that he genuinely had done it. But, but he was highly anxious. And, and, and as I talked with him and probed that, what it, what it turned out to be is he was part of a church, and there are churches like this that, that preach that you can accept Christ as Savior and Lord but you also have to be baptized before you have, before you're saved, before you are eternally secure. And here he is thinking of himself on this airplane. What happens if the airplane goes down? Then I spend the eternity in hell apart from Christ. And there are churches out there that, that preach that. But that is, that is a workspace salvation. That is adding something. That is no different than what was happening in Galatia when Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, you know, some of you are, are embracing Christ as Savior and Lord, but then you're adding on the additional requirement of circumcision. And you're saying you can't be really a follower of Jesus, really saved, unless you're circumcised. Here's the reality. Paul says this very clearly. The only circumcision, the only baptism that is necessary for salvation is the circumcision and the baptism of your heart, of what happens in your heart when you turn to Christ in repentance and faith. But having given you that caution, let me give you the other side of that coin. Yes, baptism is not necessary or required for salvation, but baptism is an expression of our salvation. Baptism is a natural response of our salvation. We see that, and it was modeled by Christ, and it was commanded by Christ. It is something that He expects anyone who loves Him and wants to follow Him would do. So what about you this morning? 
Let me uh, bring it up very close and personal to you. As you're sitting here, wherever you are, I don't have a list of who's been baptized and who hasn't been baptized. So you're safe in my eyes, but where do you stand in terms of baptism? If you claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, but you have not yet been baptized, what is it the Holy Spirit is calling you to do even this morning? We're looking forward to this wonderful body event on March 25th. We're looking forward to those mini sermons that we're going to hear and those baptism testimonies. Is the Holy Spirit calling you to be part of that? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to take that step of baptism? Let me say as well, you may be here this morning and, and only vaguely understand what we talk about when we say uh, embracing Christ as Savior and Lord, responding to Christ and repentance and faith. This is a Sunday where you can respond to that. You can do that anytime, but we especially want to invite you this morning. If you are not sure where you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, what a wonderful opportunity this would be to make sure of where you stand with Christ, to make sure that He is really Savior and Lord, that you've really turned to Him in repentance and faith, and then to seal that and, and to testify of that publicly by being baptized on March 25th. So I leave you with this question, will you publicly identify yourself with Jesus Christ? Will you publicly identify yourself with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you publicly identify yourself with the people of Jesus Christ? Will you be baptized? Are the words that God was speaking through Ananias to, the, to Saul what he's speaking to you? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on Christ's name. We want to give you the opportunity even this morning. Um, I'm going to ask those who are uh, the prayer counselors to come forward and take their places this morning. There's going to be a number of people like there are normally up at the front of the end of the service. And, and uh, by the way, you know, I, I've noticed that not many people take advantage of the opportunity to have someone pray for you at the end of the service. Psalm 55 comes to my mind. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. Isn't it true that, you don't have to answer this, isn't it true that we all come with burdens? There's probably nobody who comes to church that doesn't have some kind of burden. Why would we not want to come to a brother or sister in Christ, share that burden appropriately and in confidentiality, and have that brother or sister pray over us? pray for that burden. Might that be one of the ways that God wants you to cast your burden upon the Lord, that He would sustain you, that He would lift you up? So some of the men and women up at the front are here just for that. And if you come this morning, and maybe you're not thinking anything about baptism this morning, but there is a burden on your heart of any kind, these men and women are up here to pray with you confidentially. And you can take advantage of that as in our closing song, as well as following the service. There's also some men and women up front, and they are going to be having, holding some paperwork, or that's going to be given to them, so they're holding that. I think some clipboards. And that's for those of you who want to explore what would be the next step in exploring baptism. Maybe you're convicted this morning, and you know you want to do that, and, and they will help you take the next steps. Maybe you're, you're not even there yet, but you're at least wondering, and you've got questions, should I be baptized? Or I was baptized as an infant. Should I, should I think about baptism again? They're here to talk with you confidentially about that. 
By the way, we have a way for you to respond online. If you're interested in the baptism service, uh, you, can, you can find out more information and respond on our website. There is a baptism page. I think there is also a way through the, the service bulletin this morning that you can follow up with that. I, I want to close in prayer, but I want to give you the opportunity to examine your heart even as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I think about the words that you speak uh, through the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see where you are in the faith. Lord, we want this closing time to be a time of uh, examining our hearts before you. Perhaps there are some here this morning, Lord, who in that self-examination realize they are not even sure that they have a saving relationship with you. And Lord, as you reveal that to them, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw them forward for prayer and counseling with someone who can help them make sure and that they would know for sure this would be a Sunday where a marker is made in their life that you know them, they know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, there may be others here this morning who as they examine their hearts, they They recognize, yes, they have embraced you as Savior and Lord, but for whatever reason, they have never taken the step of publicly acknowledging you. I pray, Lord, again, that as they do that self-examination and they hear the words of Christ modeling for them baptism and calling them to be baptized, your Holy Spirit would draw them forward to take that step. Lord, there's others of us here who have been baptized. We know you as Savior and Lord. May we pray for those who are wrestling with these things. May we pray for those who are coming forward. Lord, we thank you and we pray all these names. In the name of the Father who loves us and calls us to himself, we pray in the name of the Son who died for us to open the way to the Father. We pray in the name of the Spirit who fills us with Christ's presence and empowers us. Amen.